Welcome to Baines Explains, your guide to navigating the tricky issues facing businesses today. I'm your host, Julian Whittle. Each episode, I will be chatting to specialists from Baines Wilson to find out more about the legal topics that will affect your business. In this episode of Baines Explains, we're looking at the difference between share sales and asset sales and which which route is preferable when a business is being bought and sold. Here to shed light on the subject is Jennifer Bell, a partner in Baines Wilson who specialises in corporate and commercial law. Welcome back to the podcast, Jennifer. Thank you, Julian. So as a solicitor who specialises in acting for buyers and sellers of businesses, you must often get asked what the difference is between an asset sale and a share sale. So can you begin by talking us through that in some detail? Of course. Well, firstly, it is worth pointing out the whole asset sale versus share sale debate is only really relevant where the business for sale is being operated by a limited company. If the business is actually operated by a sole trader or a traditional partnership, then there's going to be no shares to sell and there, as there's no company. No. And so the sale will inevitably be an asset sale at that point. Secondly, it's also important to note that every transaction is different. There is no one size fits all. And what might be good for the seller may not actually be good yeah. for the buyer and vice versa. Each transaction will have its own complexities, objectives and personal circumstances relating to the various parties. So it's therefore imperative that each party seeks early advice from their legal and financial advisors in order to fully understand the implications and ramifications of what is being proposed before committing to anything. However, putting that to one side for the moment... As you have said, Julian, there are two ways of acquiring a business. There is an asset purchase and there's a share purchase. An asset purchase involves the buyer acquiring a collection of assets and rights and sometimes assuming responsibility for certain liabilities of the target business. Whereas a share purchase involves the buyer acquiring a majority or all of the shares in the target company from its shareholders. Whilst both structures achieve broadly the same commercial objective, there are fundamental differences in both the legal and tax treatment of the two methods. So if we look in detail at the asset purchase first, here, as I've just said, The buyer takes over the target business by acquiring a collection of specified assets and rights and sometimes assumes responsibility for certain liabilities. The question of exactly which assets, rights and liabilities will be transferred or assumed by the buyer is a matter of negotiation between the parties. As no rights will automatically transfer or transfer via operation of law, on an asset sale, what the buyer acquires will ultimately depend on the terms of the contract governing the transaction. This contract is commonly known as an asset purchase agreement or an APA. We do like our acronyms. <laughs> and um, you can also hear it referred to as a BPA or a business purchase agreement. Subject to certain limited exceptions, any unwanted assets, rights or liabilities will get left with the seller on completion and they don't transfer to the buyer. 
Whilst the final division of assets between the buyer and the seller will vary from deal to deal, items that are commonly acquired as part of an asset purchase transaction will include things like the business information and records, the goodwill and the business name, information technology and IT systems, any intellectual property rights, plant equipment and machinery, the property that the business operates from or otherwise owns, stock and the benefit of business contracts. And the items that are often, but not always, excluded from an asset purchase will include any cash in hand or at the bank, book debts and insurance claims. The principal commercial advantage, therefore, of an asset purchase is that in general, it gives the parties control, control over which of the target's assets and liabilities that the buyer wants to acquire. As I said, as a general rule, no assets transfer automatically and exactly what the buyer acquires depends completely on the terms of the asset purchase agreement. The buyer therefore has some scope to cherry pick the assets that it is particularly interested in and to leave unwanted assets with the seller. This inherent flexibility over what transfers to the buyer can also be attractive to a seller if they're looking to perhaps only sell a certain division of its business rather than all of it. Similarly, subject to certain limitations, the liabilities of the target business remain with the seller on completion of the transaction unless the parties expressly agree otherwise. And this can be another major advantage of the structure for a buyer, particularly where the target business has extensive known liabilities or its operations involve an unacceptable exposure to unquantified or unknown liabilities. So if we turn now, though, to a share purchase, which is the other option, here the buyer acquires ownership of the actual company itself, which is carrying on the target business. And this is achieved by purchasing all, sometimes the majority, of the shares from the shareholders of the company. Therefore, in a share purchase, the only assets that are transferred are the shares in the target company and they pass from the current shareholders to the buyer by means of what's called a stock transfer form. Each seller in a share purchase is a shareholder in the target company, and this can either be an individual or it could be a limited company. Now, whilst there's no legal requirement for an agreement for the sale and purchase of the shares to be in writing, in most arm's length deals, it usually is good practice for the parties to document their transaction in a written agreement, which is commonly referred to as a share purchase agreement, and the acronym for that is an SPA. Star, great. (laughs) (laughs) So what is important to note with this structure is that because the target company is a separate legal personality from its shareholders, i.e., It is a legal person in its own right, so it can own its own assets, it can enter into its contracts. Ownership of the underlying assets and responsibility for the liabilities of the target business don't change as a result of the share purchase. They still remain under the ownership and control of the company. All that actually changes is that the company itself is owned and controlled by someone else. And this means that as a general rule, the buyer takes over the target company with the benefit of all of its rights and its assets, but more importantly, also with all its obligations and liabilities, both 
past, present and future. And that's the main difference between the two. It's that on an asset purchase, buyer can control and cherry pick what they want to purchase, whereas with a share purchase, they've got no control over what's been obtained and they acquire that company warts and all. In a share purchase, the buyer will need to undertake a much more extensive due diligence process over the target company in order to identify exactly what they are taking on. Exactly, because you're taking all any, any lurking liabilities. So you've explained very clearly there the difference between the two. Uh, and it kind of feels like, like, like the asset purchase is more attractive in most cases. But, but look at can we look at the pros and cons of, of, of structuring the transaction as an asset purchase? Okay, so... The main advantage for the buyer in an asset purchase is this ability to cherry pick what assets and more importantly, what liabilities they want to take on. Unless the buyer agrees to specifically assume certain liabilities, all historic liabilities of the target business remain with the seller, which means that the buyer doesn't acquire any undisclosed or historic liability and nor does it assume any of the seller's tax history either. So in light of this, it is often the case that the negotiation of the asset purchase agreement is much more simplified than that of a share purchase agreement because the buyer is likely to accept a less extensive list of warranties and indemnities than it would on a share purchase. However, whilst the warranty and indemnity protections may be less extensive, one of the principal legal and commercial drawbacks of any asset purchase is the additional complexity that is involved in actually documenting and implementing an asset transaction itself. And this is because, firstly, the parties need to identify all the individual assets, rights and liabilities that are comprised within that target business. And they have to ascertain which are going to be transferring to or being assumed by the buyer and then which are going to remain with the seller. Once the parties have agreed that commercially acceptable split of the relevant assets and liabilities, it's then essential to ensure that the agreed position is accurately documented in the asset purchase agreement. Because as I have said, no assets transfer automatically. The buyers need to be mindful of the risk of failing to identify and include a key asset in the transaction. And equally, the parties must take care to ensure they don't inadvertently agree to assume or retain an undesired liability. This means that particular care needs to be taken around defining in the agreement what assets are included and what are being excluded and where relevant, the liabilities which a party has agreed to assume and perhaps indemnify the other against. Secondly, the parties then need to deal with the actual transfer formalities that's needed to transfer title to the purchased assets. These will very much depend on the asset being transferred, but they are likely to involve the need for additional documentation to be drawn up. For example, the transfer of a property might need a transfer deed or a deed of assignment and a license to assign if you're transferring the lease. The transfers of intellectual property, such as trademarks, may need formal deeds of assignment, drafting and agreeing. Thirdly, with an asset purchase, there's likely to be a range of third parties, such as suppliers, customers and lessors, 
who will be affected by the transfer and whose consent may be required. So, for example, where you have leasehold property that's being acquired, the landlord's consent is generally going to be needed to assign that lease to the buyer. If any of the transferring business contracts contain restrictions on assignment, which is often the case in practice, the consent of the other party is going to be needed before assignment can proceed. If any of the transferring business contracts need to be novated to the buyer, this can't be achieved without the approval and participation of all the original parties to the contract, which can cause difficulties. If there's any leased equipment, then the parties are going to need to arrange for those leases to be assigned or novated to the buyer, which is likely to involve agreeing new terms with the lesser beforehand. If the target business is involved in a business activity that cannot be carried out without a licence, permit or other regulatory approval, then the buyer may actually need to obtain approval from a relevant third-party regulator for its post-completion continuation, Or, quite significantly, it may actually need to secure the grant of a new licence in the buyer's own name, which can and often does create significant delay. At very least, the need to address these matters is likely to add to the overall transaction costs and the timetable. And at the very worst, it could make the acquisition structure completely unviable in practice. For example, this might be the case where the parties are just unable to obtain necessary third-party consent to the novation of a key business contract or approval from an applicable regulator for the transfer or regrant of an essential licence or permit. In those scenarios, a share purchase may actually be more attractive. Another potentially unattractive feature of an asset purchase is that it's going to be caught by the Transfer of Undertakings Protection of Employment Regulations 2006, known to most of us as TUPI. What this means is that the seller's employees automatically transfer to the buyer by the operation of law on their current terms of employment. The buyer effectively steps into the seller's shoes with regard to transferring employees. All the seller's rights, powers, duties and liabilities under or in connection with the transferring employees' contracts pass to the buyer and the buyer inherits all employment-related liabilities concerning those transferring employees. Care needs to be had when dealing with this aspect as both the buyer and the seller have obligations placed upon them by the regulations to both inform and consult the employees or their representatives and also the seller must supply certain information to the buyer not less than 28 days before the relevant transfer takes place. A failure to correctly inform and possibly consult can result in a claim of an award up to 13 weeks' pay for each affected employee. Finally, with asset purchases, where the seller is a UK company, there are also complexities around extracting the sale proceeds from the company that has sold the business, as any extraction of cash will need to comply with company law rules on distributions. If it's not done correctly, this could result in double tax charge and no one wants to pay more tax than they need to. Advice therefore needs to be sought from specialist tax advisors. There may also be tax implications for the buyer on an asset purchase as the transfer of certain assets may attract a tax charge. 
For example, the transfer of property is likely to attract SDLT, which is a charge of up to 4% of the value of the property transferring. SDLT, what's that? Stamp duty land tax. Got you. Um, So that could be significantly more than the stamp duty that's actually chargeable on the transfer of shares, which is currently set at half a percent, significantly less than 4% of the purchase price. And there's also issues around capital allowances, which need to be considered as well. Right. Yeah. So, so although superficially an asset sale looks attractive, you, you, you've certainly explained in detail that there are disadvantages as well as, as advantages. So let's look at it from the, the other side, if you like. What, what are the pros and cons of structuring the transaction as a share purchase? Well, Julian, the key advantage of a share purchase for both parties is its structural simplicity. Where the buyer is acquiring the shares in the target company rather than its business and assets, the only asset that needs to be transferred from seller to buyer is the shares in the target company. Also, there's no change in any of the underlying ownership of the various assets or responsibility for the liabilities. This continuity regarding the target business removes many of the transactional complexities that otherwise arise on an asset purchase, often with resulting savings in the transaction timetable and costs. In particular, on a share purchase, it is not necessary to identify each asset, right or liability of the target business that is included or excluded from the transaction. And consequently, there's a much lower risk that the buyer emits emits to acquire a key asset or right that is required to continue operating that business. There is no need to deal with the multiplicity of transfer formalities for different categories of assets and rights. In most share purchase transactions, the only transfer document that's actually required is the stock transfer form to transfer the legal title to the shares from the seller to the buyer. The target company's contractual and licensing arrangements are largely undisturbed by the transaction and the buyer acquires the company with the benefit, subject to the burden, of all the contracts, licenses and similar arrangements to which it is a party at completion. This means that, except in isolated cases, for example where there's a change of control in a contract, there is generally no need to obtain third-party consents for a share purchase. Other potential advantages of a share purchase over an asset purchase are that it provides a clean break for the seller. And this is a key attraction of a share purchase, particularly for the seller. On completion of the transaction, all the continuing obligations, responsibilities and liabilities of that target business stay with the target company. And the seller's post-transaction liability is generally limited to the extent of any warranties, indemnities and covenants that it agrees to give the buyer in the share purchase agreement. Obviously, though, while a clean break may be very commercially attractive to the seller, it can be a major drawback for the buyer, particularly if the target company's liabilities are extensive or there is a risk that is exposed to significant contingent or unknown liabilities. Share purchases also give the shareholders direct receipt of the sale proceeds, so it generally avoids the potential tax implications and legal constraints that we spoke about when looking at extracting proceeds of sale. 
and there's no obligation to adhere to and comply with the provisions of 2P. But presumably, though, you are acquiring the employees, if you like, on their existing terms of employment, aren't you? So you, you, you are. So you've still got that liability, but you haven't got that added complexity of complying with various timelines of information And consultation flows. and so forth. Yeah. yeah, got you. But on the flip side... Whilst it gives this seller a lovely nice clean break, allowing them to walk away, knowing that the only liabilities they have going forward are those given in the warranties and indemnities, which can be usually capped both by way of financial caps and time caps. As we've said, it's a major drawback for a purchaser if that company's got significant liabilities um, or even undisclosed and unknown liabilities. The buyer can mitigate some of its exposure by negotiating a price reduction or by requiring the seller to provide extensive representations, warranties and indemnities in the share purchase agreement. However, these contractual promises and protections do have their limitations. And as I've said, the seller will often seek to limit their exposure under them, both financially and by time. Also, Such agreement only binds the contracting parties and it's not enforceable against the target company's creditors. Breach of warranty claims can be costly, time-consuming to enforce and ultimately they are of absolutely no value if the seller doesn't have the requisite financial substance to to meet any buyer's claim. As a result, if the target company has significant exposure to known liabilities that can't be addressed to the buyer's satisfaction through price reduction or warranty indemnity coverage, or if there is a risk that it's exposed to significant, contingent, undisclosed, unknown liabilities, then obviously the buyer may seek to restructure the transaction as an asset purchase so that it can cherry pick and leave them behind. Another disadvantage of a share purchase is that in order to acquire 100% of the issued share capital of the target, the buyer needs all of the target's company shareholders to agree. If any of the shareholders are untraceable or unwilling to participate, then the transaction is unlikely to proceed unless the target company's articles of association contain what are known as drag-along provisions, which Um, are there to force those missing or dissenting minorities to actually sell. So in conclusion, as I hope you can see, unless the target business is owned by a sole trader or a partnership, the debate over which route to take when acquiring a business is a complex one. The implications and ramifications of which structure to choose will very much depend on the specific characteristics of both the target business and also of the particular buyer and seller's. But what I hope you can see is that there is a lot to consider and to discuss. And fundamentally, if you're considering buying or selling a business, the need to seek advice both legally and financially early on is imperative. Great advice to end on. Thanks very much, Jennifer. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening to this episode of Baines Explains. You can find more information about the topic discussed today and sign up for regular alerts on changes to case law and legislation by visiting our website, www.baineswilson.co.uk. To keep up to date with what our team is up to, follow us on Twitter and on LinkedIn by searching Baineswilson LLP.